Welcome to this week's NL Full-Time Podcast. I'm Luke Edwards. Hope you've had a good little break. We're, we're back because we have got the playoffs starting again this week. and We've got lots to catch up on. Joining me, as always, is Dickie Wharton. Hello, Dickie. Good evening, Luke. Good to speak to you. And also joining us from what looks like his back garden it is Rob Worrell. Hello, Rob. Yeah, hi, Luke. Hi, guys. Great to join you. Joining us, we also have a, a variety of of guests over the the next over over this episode of the podcast. Later on, we'll hear from Scott Davis, Slough, and Nick Arnold of Dartford. They face off next weekend, and also Jerry Gill, the Bath manager. We've also got Gateshead JJ O'Donnell on a roller coaster. Twelve months at the International Stadium, but first, a voice who who fans will have heard a lot over lockdown as he covered many Bundesliga matches and kept us all sane, basically. And he's also the main voice and league commentator of BT Sport for the National League games. It is Adam Summerton. Hi, Adam. Hi, Luke. Thanks for having me on. You good? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's nearly time for those matches, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, we've had to wait what feels like an eternity, haven't we? But it's great to have the opportunity to cover some games again. I mean, if I'm honest, I didn't always have total faith that this day would come this season. Um, but it, it is going to come uh, and I can't wait. And I think we've got in the National League, which is obviously the games I'll be covering for BT Sport, I think we've got a wonderful set of games. And I think it's going to be quite unpredictable as well, actually. So it's, it's really exciting, really looking forward to it. Join us to give us a sort of a director's point of view at a football club and, and to help us preview one of the games in the National League North. It is Ultracom director Bill Waterson. Hiya, Bill. Hello, good to be here. Um, very interesting week. Mm, indeed. Great to see you, Adam. And we don't normally get Easy. to see you. Obviously, the voice is, is familiar. Um, you've been doing a lot of Bundesliga stuff. Yes. Yeah, really enjoyed that. It was good to be back. A bit weird doing Bundesliga games from my spare bedroom, but <laughs> it was uh, yeah, it was quite surreal that day. Where I remember that spaceship went to the the space station, and on the so on the same day, I commentated from a bedroom on a Germany a, a game happening in Germany during a worldwide pandemic, and a spaceship flew over my house. So that that if you'd said to me that that would have happened six months ago, I would have probably said that you needed to. Uh, get off the absence maybe (laughs) i mean commentary tree has changed so much in the last 12 months it's it's unreal isn't it yeah i mean to be honest a lot of people have asked me about the commentating with no crowds and i I, I might be in a minority i don't know among colleagues but to be honest for me it's it's not really been that big a deal because i certainly when i was starting out i covered quite a bit of under 18s and academy and reserve team football so obviously you're not got a big crowd there and you just kind of immerse yourself in the game, really. Uh, and so the lack of crowds... I mean, it, I, I went to Wolves. I did a Premier League game at Wolves and I actually went to the ground. And that was weird. Believe it or not, it was weirder being there with no crowd than it is doing it remotely mm. with no... That, 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 yeah. I can only tell you what my experience was. So, yeah, but it's, it's, it's just great, as I was saying, to have this opportunity of, of covering the National League playoffs because I think we shouldn't underestimate how hard it's been for these clubs to just get to this point and, and for the league as well to get to this point. It's tremendously difficult. There's a lot to take on. We all know that money in terms of testing kits and testing regimes and all the things that cost a lot of money that maybe is easier to find that money at Premier League level, a Bundesliga level, at Serie A level and, and championship, etc. It's much more difficult, isn't it, for, for these clubs and they're making it happen and, I, and I've been really impressed with what I've seen in terms of how they're making it happen. I mean, you saw Notts County did like a bit of a video diary 
yeah. which um, I, I thought was was really really good. So credit to the clubs that they've they've got these games on. Well, Having... we'll ask a di- we'll ask a director actually at Altrincham. I mean, I know you've done a lot of fundraising. Chester have done it. Nearly all the clubs have done a lot of fundraising, and it's been a lot of money to get these playoffs on, hasn't it, Bill? Oh, absolutely right. You know, it's um, I must um, our fans have been absolutely brilliant. We asked them for money at the start of the lockdown of the pandemic. Um, we said we weren't going to ask them for any more money unless there was a specific cause. When the playoffs came up, we're asking them to contribute towards the um, the testing regime that we've got to put in place. It's costing us over 50 grand should we go all the way to the final to um, to enter the playoffs. So therefore, it is way more difficult for us than for the Premier League because the costs are going to the cost of testing is going to be more or less the same. There may be a little bit more sophistication around having private doctors and the like at Premier League and English Football League level, but um, nonetheless, all of us that are in the playoffs, uh, all 18 teams, national, north and south. Um, are, are committed to it, and I think it's a very, um, I think it, it's a great credit to all of the clubs actually that, that, that we've managed to get this far. In terms we'll of, see. sorry, I was going to say in terms of integrity, I think it's good that everyone's helped out because I think it would have looked, it wouldn't have looked great if one team would have gone, we can't play in the playoffs, and somebody had got a buy potential. I mean, I know it's a lot of money, and some clubs might have struggled with it, but I think it's good that everyone's club together to, to make it happen in the three divisions. It's a very expensive lottery ticket, actually, you know, 50 grand, but you've got a one in six chance of winning. Um, and, and, yeah, the cooperation between the clubs has been great. Um, you know, I've, uh, I, as I said before we started this call, I live not too far from Slough Town, and I've had some good conversations with Slough um, over the course of what they're doing, what we're doing, because, of course, neither of us have been in this situation before, and let's hope we're never in this situation again. But um, yeah, it's, it's been really, really tough. The National League, rightfully, has set the bar very high in terms of us being able to prove that we've got the right level of procedures and safeguards because people's health is far more important than winning promotion. So um, we've got tough regimes in place, red zones, amber zones and the like, just as difficult as they would be for any other. We're going to stick to them. We have to stick to them because uh, the consequences of there being a mini outbreak from from a football match at the end of the day, you know, you've got to get your priorities right. Just a, just a quick one then, Bill. I mean, obviously you had a really good cup run last year and you made a lot out of it. I mean, has that helped towards these costs or has that been put aside for a rainy day and you kind of started afresh? We had, um, so we made a profit the previous season and we were on track to make a profit again this season because of the cup run. Uh, if you consider that the very last, the first game that we didn't play was at home to Chester. Uh, on the 21st of March. We were expecting three, 4,000 for that game. We were expecting it to be an absolute bumper game. We, the games that we missed out on were Chester, Kingsley, Boston, uh, home, uh, Gloucester, uh, so, so, Brackley. So some big games, some really big games. And then, of course, the revenue from the playoffs. We paid all of that revenue. Every other club's in the same position. But that loss of revenue has made a significant difference to us. What the fans have raised, 30 grand, back at the beginning of the lockdown and now uh, we've just reached our target for the first game which was 12,250 for testing has been brilliant um, the government furlough scheme has also been massively helpful I think without that clubs would be in a, in a really difficult position we were fairly cash rich compared to uh, most clubs I think uh, and I think if it hadn't been for the furlough scheme I'm sure we've seen more casualties than we have there's still time, of course. Um, 
it does depend on what happens in the restart. But I think people are getting more confident about a mid-September restart and, and with, with fans and therefore with a revenue stream. But it could well have changed the shape of football forever. You know, I, I know talking to some of our older fans that they're very concerned, the over 70s, very concerned about whether they might come back or not to the football stadium. So this will have changed, will changed life fundamentally. And whether we're in the National League or in the National League North next season, I think it will be fundamentally different to this season. Bill, question for you. You're saying there's more meat on the bones of a mid-September start. I'm, I'm hearing similar. Is the original uh, guideline that was talked about still holding true, or maybe 25% of stadium capacities, or does that potentially go up with the drop from two metres to one plus? You would expect that that would go up with the, with the reduction in social distancing. However, you know, the National League has shown itself very keen to be in lockstep with the English Football League on this. So uh, I don't think the National League will restart with a regime that's fundamentally different to that which is in the English Football League. One thing is for sure, we cannot start behind closed doors because English Football League and the Premier League have revenue coming from television, which uh, we don't have, particularly in the regional divisions of the National League. So starting behind closed doors and living off the television money is just not a um, a, a relevant strategy for, for clubs at our level. So therefore, we will only start if we can have spectators in the ground. And, and I'm not talking about Altrium here, I'm talking about all of the clubs at this level. I've heard, I've, I've heard that, yeah, from start of steps one down to nine, I think it is. It, it will not start behind closed doors if, if, if that is the case. And uh, I think also there's like the relegation issue for the National League at stake, from, as in the Football League said, well, there's going to be no relegation then into the National League if, if that is the case. So there is a lot riding on it, and like you say, so long as it's all safe and well, but the noises are that there is light at the end of the tunnel on this. Well, it, it feels with society coming out of lockdown a little bit that um, there's greater optimism around. You know, we have to be careful in a, a society as a whole to see what happens as a consequence of this removal of lockdown. But, it, you know, if, if you consider, just take our example, we've got a 6,000 capacity stadium, 1,500 is a good crowd for us, that's one in four. Therefore, you can imagine a regime where you've got sufficient spacing on the terraces and you can still get everybody who wants to come into the ground. You know, we might have to reduce the capacity to 1,500 or to 2,000, but that should be more or less sufficient. Um, so therefore, we can, we can maintain social distancing and, and have our regular supporters attending. What will happen with away supporters, um, not because of the ground itself, but just because of travel and people's willingness to travel, um, we'll wait and see. But, you know, I, I can easily imagine our ground holding 1,500 to 2,000 people with social distancing and, and that being pretty much everybody who wants to come. The first game that's going to take place will be this coming Friday. It's Boreham Wood against Halifax, a game that you'll obviously be covering, Adam, for. BT Sport and uh, it, it's going to be an, in, an interesting game and, and the big things that are coming out of clubs are saying is the it's basically kind of a, a trip into the unknown, there's no form to go off or anything like that, empty stadium it's, it's really going to be almost as we've seen with the Premier League survival of the fittest isn't it in these opening weeks Yeah it's a, a 
amount for the players to take on really from a standing star. I mean, I remember saying that covering the Bundesliga games, it's such a big effort for the players to almost go into from, from that German perspective. It was like starting a new season without a pre-season, but these guys, the pressure on them is even greater, isn't it? Because the prize, the ultimate prize is a bit of the Holy Grail really, isn't it? To, to reach the football league. And yet they're having to go into the, huge games some in, in some cases some of the biggest games of their careers individually um they're having to go into them from a standing start and that will create pressure and and like you say you're absolutely right it is unknowns uh, and it's it, I, I find this really hard to predict how any of this will come. I, I saw that the the bookies apparently have harrogate as favorites but i think for me and it's interesting you talk about one of these sort of eliminators first is because I think the, the fact that we have a big gap, don't we, this time, between the eliminators and the semi-finals, whereas normally they're a lot closer. And I think that that makes this even more wide open because it's very hard, really, for a side that plays in one of the eliminators, particularly if they've gone to extra time, which we're not going to have either this time. It was, as we saw with Ebbsfleet, the season that Tranmere went up. I mean, Ebbsfleet were absolutely on their, out on their feet, weren't they, at the end of that semi-final against Tranmere. Uh, and I think it's going to make it's going to bring it closer together. I think this time the fact that the games aren't as close together, and we're not going to have things like extra time either. So I think that's another interesting thing to put into the conundrum with all of these games. I, I wrote down some notes before we came on, and you put Halifax and Barn as probably the underdogs, mainly because Halifax were maybe not going in great form. They were kind of going the other way a little bit towards when the season started, and then Barnet, who've been prop- propelled in because of points per game. Yeah, I, th- I think that Hallett, I mean, I did the the game, the final live game that we had on BT Sport before beaten at home. And I think if you look at the form table as well, and they can pretty much throw that out of the window now, but they they would, for me, be the biggest outsiders, particularly with the fact that obviously they've, they've got to play an eliminator as well. But I mean, uh, Barnett's a great story, isn't it, as well? The fact that they finished 11th yet because of the way this has all been decided, they've sneaked in and you've got to really feel for Stockport. But you, you could make a case for all of these teams. You look at Barnet and you look at the firepower that they've got and they've managed to get McCallum as well for the playoffs, which I think is a, is a really big... I mean, five goals in five games that he got before it was all... Uh, before we had the lockdown, you've got Alfie Pavey there as well. Um, you've got Akinola who's still there too. And you look around all of these sides, and as I say, you could make a case for all of them. If you look at Notts County, for instance, there was only one side scored more goals than them and only one side that conceded fewer goals than them. Um, so I, th- I think they've got a chance as well. Harrogate, uh, Notts County and Harrogate were like the two form sides, weren't they, out of the, out of the bunch going into that. But then you've got a side like Yeovil looking to bounce straight back to the football. It's, there's narratives, the stories, the subplots everywhere for us, and it what makes it so exciting and, and so much to look forward to, really. Yeah, Adam, interestingly, um, we've had a question come through to us at NL Full Time on Twitter, and, and I think you'd be a good person to gauge this because you've watched the restart in the Bundesliga, and, and I'm sure you've had one eye on the, the restart starting the Premier League as well. Um, and, and, and the question uh, that we got came in from Andy Flan. He said, do people think that playing the eliminator game will actually give an advantage to the winning teams going into the semi-finals? I mean, I guess an example would be even a side as great as Liverpool, their first game back, they were a little bit ordinary, weren't they? Um, what's your opinion on the restart? Is it not necessarily now about how good a team is how fit they are, what their mentality is like, but actually, who is the best at restarting, hitting the ground running? 
Well, that is going to be a, a major part of it, yeah. And there's all sorts of factors to include in that. I mean, mentality that you mentioned just there is one. What their training regime has, has been like. I mean, how, even how, I mean, something that affected sides, certainly early doors in the restart of the Bundesliga. And certainly I saw Maurizio Sarri, the Juventus head coach, mention it in terms of the extra subs that they were able to make, just as an example of how things can be affected. He said, look, we really struggled how to use our subs to begin with. He said, I made three changes in one game all at once. And he said, I, he used quite colourful language to criticise himself about it. He said, you know, basically, I won't do that again because it completely disrupted my team. So that's just an example of, I think, it doesn't really matter what level of football you're talking about. These are guys who are all learning on the job. And I think that, you know, when you're going into games as big as these for these clubs, it's, it's really difficult for them because these, as, as I said earlier, these are games for some of them, that's some of the biggest games of these players' careers, potentially, depending on what their previous career paths have been. And if you look at, just for example, Boreham Wood have never played in the Football League. So even for the clubs themselves, there's huge pressure on these matches. And I, and I do think there is, there is a, you know, a theory worth exploring there about in terms of the fact that the sides who have the eliminators, although it's seen as a disadvantage and they have the eliminators because they finish lower in the table, I guess it could in these very strange circumstances end up being a bonus because they'll have an extra game under their belts and they're not going into it completely uh, from a standing start as you know, Notts County um, and Harrogate are going to be doing. So yeah, I think that is a really interesting theory. And, and I think as well, it makes these these playoffs for me are more open than the previous ones because of the fact that the, there is this gap, you know, that the finals will be on the 25th and you've got the, the final on, on, on the second as well. And I, and I just think that that could, that could feed into things as well. The, you know, the fact that we've got the first, the eliminators Friday and, and Saturday that are coming now as, as we're recording. Um, and then you've got a, a week's gap, which is a, a a turnaround that was maybe greater. If, I, I think I'm right in saying that, is, is, unless my memory's playing tricks on me. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a greater turnaround. So I think that as well means that the clubs in the eliminators lose that disadvantage, if you like, that they've yes. had previously in, the, in these playoffs. So I think that's a factor worth taking into consideration. Yeah, well. it's a really, really good point, Adam. You remember... Ebbsfleet going up to Tranmere a couple of seasons ago. Yeah. They'd gone in the week, in midweek, they'd travelled to Aldershot, they'd gone to extra time and penalties, and then they had to go up to Tranmere and do another 90 minutes and extra time or whatever. And uh, oh, it was heading for extra time. I don't think it went to it, did it? So uh, that begs another question then um, in terms of just trying to get that sort of 2, 5, 8% advantage on other teams. What sort of uh, help? Will it give the teams such as Borenwood, as an example, where they and that squad have been in the playoffs before, have have been in the playoff final before, will still have the pain of defeat etched on them and, and the determination to, 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 to make to succeed? Well, in Boreham Wood's case, of course, it's something that will have been because um, many of those players are still there from the Tramier yeah, game. So that will have been, yeah. yeah. So that will have been something that they they presumably will have really desperately as a as a club because it's the same head coach as well. They'll have been desperate to put that right for a long time now, and I do think that plays a part. I really do. I think that particularly when you're going into situations where there are so many unknowns, when you have previous experience that previous experience in an environment where there are so many unknowns, that experience is obviously going to be even more valuable that you're going yeah. to be able to call upon it. And I think what we've seen as well is we often see in when clubs get to 
playoffs maybe in back-to-back seasons. We sometimes, I always get that feeling there's an element of we want to put this right. And I think we saw that definitely with Tranmere. We saw it with Grimsby, although, you know, it took them you know, several attempts, didn't it? But they eventually got it right. Yeah, Forest Green's another one. And I think that is a really interesting narrative and one that's very worthy of, of, of discussion. And, and the team for me is not actually Boreham Woods when I think about this going into these playoffs, who that's most, who I associate that the most with. It's with Harrogate season I thought that there were, there were times where I thought they, they they played above what was expected of them I think to get in the playoffs at all last season was a really good achievement and then the fact that they so badly underwhelmed in that eliminator uh, they just didn't get anywhere near the standards that they were capable of and that if I was a player in that team that would have haunted me for well it's more than a year now isn't it that would have you know I'd have a burning desire within me to to want to put that right. I'm sure Simon Weaver, who's a great guy, would, would, would have that as well. So I, I think that that is, is definitely a, a factor. That knowledge, that experience, that desire to put things right is something that I always look for in these playoffs. I think it, it can give you pointers to tell you how things might turn out. So do we think then, because I know I've read, I've read from a few managers, and we'll hear it later from Jerry Gill, that you think these teams playing in the playoff eliminator will have an advantage when it comes to the semi-final, then in that they've They've, had, they've got a 90 minutes or maybe more under the belt. I, I do, yeah. I mean, if I had to nail my colours to the mast, I would say yes, I think they do. And combined with the fact, as I say, there's that greater gap between the eliminators and the semi-final. The, 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 when this sort of was originally composed, this format, it was obviously meant to be heavily weighted, rightly so, in favour of the teams that had finished higher. But just because of the circumstances, really, I suppose this time we have this situation where you take one one part of that factor more or less out of the equation because if you've got a week's gap, particularly if you haven't played for, what, three and a half, four months, it's almost irrelevant, isn't it, really? I mean, if you're going to be able to surely play. Into, you're going to be able, you'd be grateful, I would think, to want to play a second game to get those minutes into the leg. So I actually do. I actually do think we've got this bizarre situation where the teams that are effectively meant to be punished by the format are actually maybe being benef- will benefit from it ultimately, which is another fascinating aspect of these playoffs for me. Sometimes it's the disappointment that you've got to deal with. Um, sometimes it's just as, as the lack of time to prepare that there is a hit history of, of teams that have been playoffs really struggling the next season. Uh, two that spring to mind, sadly, the one I've watched them for and would the season after they were in the playoffs and the playoff finals, they, they, they were both fighting relegation right up to the final day. And Aldershot, of course, did finish in the bottom four um, season before last, only to get reprieved when Gateshead went down. In, so in terms of Boreham Wood against Halifax, and I mean, Halifax had them start the season really well. I mean, when you consider Pete Wilder's only played 14 days before the start of the season. They were top for a while. Then they slipped. But to keep them in the playoffs, they've done a fantastic job. And he said he said this week that his players are in the wrong job if they need motivating for this game. Uh, normally, you'd say home advantage is key. But as you know from watching the Bundesliga, there's been a lot more away wins, hasn't there? So it's kind of home advantage goes out the window almost. I think it's less significant, yeah. I mean, the Bundesliga was a strange example because we did see it freakishly almost that home advantage disappeared and there were a lot more away wins. The percentages were were crazy. But just to sort of add a bit of balance to that, in the second tier of German football, the level of home wins went back up again. It wasn't so. Maybe it was just a bit of an anomaly. Um, maybe it isn't something that would necessarily apply to all leagues. But I agree with you about Halifax. I think he's done a fantastic job there to get them in this position. I do, as I said earlier, if I'm, if, if I'm being honest, I would see them as the, the outsiders, certainly going into the, 
uh, at the end of the regular season before we saw everything suspended they were probably the side out of all the teams in the playoffs that were that were having the the toughest time if you like they'd lost four of their five games but then this is a reset button isn't it for everybody and they may well, they may well benefit most from the fact that there is this bit of a reset uh, moment and, and they've certainly got some good players there's there's no doubt about that um they'll have to play a lot better than they did though in that final game before the, the season was suspended that I, I covered on bt when they got beat by ebsfleet that they'll have to be better than that and i'm sure they will yeah rob i mean what's your you, you've kind of been speaking to boreham wood i mean what what's their thoughts on it do you, do, you, do you have any indication of how they're feeling going into this well i think luke garrod's got all that experience as we talked about before of, of going all the way to the playoff final and even leading and seeing the opposition down to 10 men and still not doing it so you know, there's some some wrongs to right there for them. I think that uh, you can't read too much into the, uh, the the friendly, hurriedly arranged friendly games that have taken place this weekend. I know that um, obviously uh, from a lower division, Dorking beat Notts County and Boreham Wood. By all accounts, their their first eleven played the first hour. It was nil nil with um, Dartford and, and, and Dartford Dartford won it one. I think you can read too much into that. For me, Boreham Wood against Halifax. You can't look at any form coming into it. But what I do look at is that Boreham would have got two players who've scored a lot of goals this season. It only needs one of those two to be really on his game in that game. And I think that little bit of extra firepower might just be the difference. But uh, despite the likes of Shimanga scoring 20-odd goals, two seasons running, doing so, jumping up a level, these are the really, really big games. Can he do it in a big game when it really, really matters? If he could score one goal, a key goal for Burrumwood on Friday night, he'd probably take that over the 20 he's got all season. Yeah, and Halifax's key man towards the end of the season, Devante Rodney, he won't be there. He's moved to Port Vale now, uh, moved up a division. So they'll have to rely on the players that, that did well for them at the start of the season. Interesting you mentioned, Barnett. I was reading it today. I mean, I think it was back in November, Darren Curry was bemoaning the lack of strikers and all of a sudden he's got... <laughs> you look at Barnet, the amount of firepower they've got going into this. I mean, that is some. I mean, it's like he's collecting centre forwards, isn't it? I mean, I remember the start of the season. There was, remember, we, I think they played against Knotts very early on in the season. They won at Meadow Lane. And I remember after the game, I think it was Akinola. Yeah. If right got the winner and I remember after the game they were the, the, the talk was that they were after a centre forward before the game and when he scored I think the post-match interview with Darren was oh well I'm going to have trouble, trouble convincing the owner to get me a centre forward now because he's just got the winner so and now he's ended up with a collection of them so uh, yeah. yeah Coulthurst is back from uh, from yeah. injury Pavey is back from injury um, they literally Actually, will have been competing in training, really, for those starting yeah. berths, weren't they? Uh, yeah. Akinola wasn't the one that any of us probably predicted would go on to be their top scorer this season. But if you watch well. Barnett, as you would, have, you would have done on a, on a few occasions last season, you know they always look solid. They always look difficult to beat, difficult to score against. But sometimes they just lack that bit of punch up front, and yeah. and yeah. that's what they thought to uh, to to improve. But I'm more concerned about the other end for Barnett. Um, mm. For me. I've seen at first hand just what a leader, what an organiser Callum Reynolds is. Callum yep. Reynolds is one of four players. Dan Sweeney as well, a colossus at times. Shay Alexander, and Shay Alexander. Dan, yeah, and Dan um, Sparks, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that is four very, very good players to lose going into this. Um, yep. And uh, and I understand it wasn't Barnett's choice to get rid. I think two or three of them are moving up uh, up the leagues and. Uh, 
into mm. the EFL. You know, I know Shay Alexander is, and Sweeney's gone to Forest Green. Yeah, like like Rob says, I mean, they're very good defensively, uh, but it's gone the other way now. They're good defensively, couldn't score goals. Now they can probably score goals, and it's whether they can keep it out now, isn't it? Well, I think from Darren's point of view, the manager, it, it presents, whilst we've talked to, about how they've got this luxury of options in terms of the centre forward, you wonder whether he might be thinking, does he have to approach games differently when you bear in mind the quality in defenders that they've lost? Will, will that affect their approach? Will it affect them tactically? It's going to be very interesting to see how he does approach these games. But just when you look at the experience at this level of football that they've lost in those four players, I mean, just this season, those four players made 98 league appearances now that is going to damage any team going into games of this size to lose that you know that amount of experience in terms of just this season we all know I mean I think personally Sweeney is one of the the best players I've seen at at this level um, over recent years in my opinion I thought he was excellent when they played in the uh, FA Cup against Brentford. I don't know if you saw that game, you remember that mm. game, but I, it mm. really showed to me that he was somebody, albeit in a one-off game, it showed me that maybe he is capable of playing at a higher level. And I love it when when players from the National League do go on and prove themselves. And in terms of whether they're favourites or not, I mean, I'll put my, my hands up and say I tip them for the title. <laughs> so, you know, that, that shows you that at the start of the season, I was looking at them and I was thinking, you know, this... We've seen sides who finished kind of mid-table in the previous season, but shown real signs of promise towards the end of that previous campaign, like Macclesfield, like Leighton Orient. We've then seen them go on and, and get promoted. And that, that was why I, I saw those same on it. It hasn't quite worked out that way. You know, how high they would have finished without the season uh, suspension, who knows? But I, I, and again, I totally take the point that you, know, you have to take form out of the window. But I think you also have to look at how well they were doing and what progress they'd made through the season. And st- I still think it's relevant in that respect. And they'd only lost one of their final 13 games of the regular season. They'd won seven of them. Their only defeat in that time was back on the 11th of February against Solly Hull. And I think there were really encouraging signs uh, for Barnet. Obviously, getting someone like McCallum in, he's going to give you real confidence. You know, he got five goals in five games. So it, it, they would be the story, wouldn't they? You know, if you're looking for stories, the fact that the team that finished 11th, I know that, it, you know, that it, I know they didn't technically finish 11th, but you take my point that the team mm. that finished 11th that have sneaked in by the back door, could they be the ones that then go on and get promoted? You know, that what a story that would be. Um, so I think that will be in people's minds as well. Carol Sal said that uh, Barnett fully deserved to be in, in the playoffs. And in terms of the sides who came down, Adam, last year, Yeovland Knox County normally, you get one who's struggling or they're in a bit of strife. Now, Notts County look like being that team, but then they've got new ownership. They're sort of both in the playoffs, which is quite a rare thing. And assess those seasons. I mean, how do you think both of those will do? Do you think do you think one of them can bounce straight back up? Well, I think there's every possibility. I mean, particularly you'd have to say with the fact Notts County have, have, have got a game less that they would be uh, the favourites in, in that respect. I think they've both had ups and downs, haven't they? But to put it mildly, <laughs> when you look at what's happened at those two football clubs over the last few years, I mean, those supporters have been through so much, haven't they? And and what a fitting end to this season it would be for, for one of those sets of supporters if it were to end in promotion. They're clubs that have gone through exceptionally difficult times on and off the pitch. But I think that, for me, the, the side in the greater shape, really, certainly before the season was suspended, were not County. And I have to say that I think they're the side as well going into this but I would think would have a, a better chance. They're, they look in better shape to me. I like the, their squad, the balance of their squad better. 
Um, you know, they won their final four games before the season was suspended. They were scoring a lot of goals as well. They got 11. I just felt something clicked a bit with Notts County. I think they've got a good manager there as well. And, and I think it's important as well to point out that of all the clubs that are in these playoffs, in terms of the balance, you know, we talk about Barnett being potentially lethal up front, but we worry about them a little bit at the back. I think in terms of the balance, I'd have to say Notts County for me, you look at it and you think maybe they're the side that are best equipped in that respect. Certainly the statistics at the end of the season bore that out. They, they seem to be getting it right at both ends for me, Notts County, and they would be the side that I would tip of those two that you've just mentioned there. Rob, do you want to give us a, tell people what our playoff predictions were in terms of who, who's going to win it rather than who? Or are, you, are you going to say who, who we thought were going to make in it and then who we think will win it? Four out of the five of us went for Fylde to win the league and, and Dickie went for Solihull Moors, which frankly in the end wasn't much better. Right, playoff <laughs> winners. Playoff winners. Um, Chris Pratt went for Notts County, so he could still come good. Uh, three, other, three of us went for uh, Wrexham and Dickie went for Fylde. Uh, in terms of other players we said would be in the in the uh, other teams in the playoffs, um, well, uh, Chris did all right because as well as Notts County, he said Barnet and Yeovil. Uh, Dickie, you said Harrogate and Yeovil. Uh, Luke, you said Harrogate, just the one for you. Um, what would I know watching it week in, week out? I just got one as well with Harrogate. <laughs> Tom got Yeovil, uh, Harrogate and Barnet. The same three, I think, as uh, or two of the same three as Dickie. So, yeah, we it's it's just such a difficult uh, league to predict year in year out. We've been doing this podcast three years, uh, boys, haven't we? And uh, I don't, don't think anyone's come even close to predicting what's going to happen. It's a, I mean, the north the north is a really interesting league. There's some very big clubs in it, clubs who are descendants of a bigger football league clubs. So you take a Darlington, a Gateshead, a Chester. A York. These these are these are big sides. They could easily live one level up, two levels up from where they are. Um, uh, yeah, and then you've got teams who who um, for for which this is the apogee in their uh, football evolution. Altrincham, I I still think Altrincham belong in the national league, national division. We spent the first um, twenty years of the alliance in that league. It's sort of where we are. So, so football sort of grew past us, but we're now growing back into um, eyes of shoes that we need to have. We need to get up into the National League. We need to prove ourselves as a contender once we do. So we've got a 10-year plan aiming to fully establish ourselves in the National League and, and then perhaps to kick on to take that Football League place who was so cruelly denied in 1980 by the re-election process. <laughs> I was going to say, we'll, we'll preview that game now because you, you, you've got Chester and there's grand plans on, on and off the pitch, isn't it, to develop the ground and everything. And you've had yeah. some battles with Chester this season. And say you've got that extra game to come and you played some, some really good football. Chester are a, a tough nut to crack as well. It, it's going to be a fascinating game, isn't it? It, it is. And we went to Chester in the FA Cup um, second qualifying round right back at the beginning of the season when we were struggling they were 1-0 up um, they could have they could have fundamentally changed our season if they'd gone on to win that game but we fought back we beat them in a replay um, and really our season started that day and after that after we came out of the FA Cup we regrouped and on a brilliant winning run in the league which took us from lower mid-table 
to be the inform side in fifth when uh, when the league came to an end. You know, we'd beaten Spennymoor four one. Just the week uh, the last game we played was a four one win against Spennymoor. We were pretty confident that we'd come into form at the right time. But as you say, we don't know. We don't know what the league, what people's form is going to be like, how fit they manage to keep themselves on, on both sides. Chester are very strong. It could go either way, but every playoff game could go either way. Um, I'm confident that we'll have enough, though. I don't know what I'm basing that confidence on. Because <laughs> there's, there's, no, there's no form, there's nothing. You know, and home advantage is diluted by the fact that... Um, crowd won't be there. Holtrincombe have been involved. They've been, you've, they've been up and they've been down and they've been in the playoffs. Um, how do you yeah. look at that one from, from your point of view, Bill? Uh, we've got a great bunch of lads. They've been together for three seasons now. Um, you know, they, we've got the bulk of the team that won the Northern Premier League by 10 points. The only team to have got relegated from the North and come straight back up again in the history of, uh, of uh, the league. So this, this team know each other very well. There's a very, very strong team spirit. There's great leadership from Phil Parkinson and Neil Sorvel. Um, I, I would back our team um, footballing-wise, but also unity-wise to, to come through. Dickie, neutral part of you then. Oldham Chester, what are your thoughts? I'm not saying this just because Bill's here, but my, my <laughs> gut would say um, altering him for that game. Um, obviously, the, the loss of you know a, a guy who scored as many goals for Chester, as as Aquasi Asante did, is a big loss, and 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 it was the uncertainty around the whole situation, around where Chester were going to be next season that persuaded him to sign a contract with Gloucester and, and to leave. Um, Chester have got a lot of experience. Whether they've got the firepower now with with Asante gone, I'm not entirely sure. I think. Altrincham will just have a little bit too much for them. And the other game in the north, and it's Brackley Down versus. Gateshead and before we look at that I caught up with Gateshead midfielder JJ O'Donnell to talk about what's happened at Gateshead over the last season uh, both on and off the field. So next weekend Gateshead make the long trip down to Brackley and I'm joined now by Gateshead midfielder JJ O'Donnell. JJ how are you? I'm good mate thank you how are you? I'm, I'm, I'm really good I mean how's uh, it must be good to kind of get back out on the grass get training things like that now. Yeah, it's it's been good. Um, obviously, it's been a it's been a strange and surreal sort of five six months for for the world, really. If you look at it in that aspect, but we uh, we were obviously informed that the plan and the season was was scrapped and uh, it was what it was. But obviously, about a couple of months ago now, we were informed that we the playoffs might be going ahead. So um, it's, it's been a it's been a strange eight weeks. You know, normally at this time of year, you you build nothing to a season. Your pre seasons begin. You've done your running and you start playing a few games, but it's obviously been a very different few months for people and um, we've got the chance now by a points per game to, to be in the playoffs and like you say, we, we make the long trip to Brackley next Sunday and we're trying to prepare as best as we can. Like I say, it's, it's very different to how it normally is but it's the same for everyone and um, we're trying to prepare as best we can and, and give ourselves the best chance we can of, of hopefully doing well in the playoffs. Yeah, we'll just step back in time a bit now because obviously you went up to Gateshead. You've had a bit of an up and down time with injury and things like that. I mean, at one stage, you looked like you might have to re- um, retire, but you've come back strong, haven't you? Yeah, f- five years ago, it was, um, there was an injury that was obviously a freak injury. And um, to be the first footballer in the world to ever have what I had, it was obviously that's the, the rarity of what I did have. But it was a long road to, to recovery and um, through the the donations of people and the fundraising to get me to get me an operation that, that might work. We never knew at the time if it was going to work and 
um, a long road to recovery and rehabilitation down at Manchester City and stuff like that. It was it was a tough few years for myself, but yeah, I was thankful to to be able to get back playing and and Gates had kept me involved as a kit man, which is a job I still do today. But yeah, it's tough. Football's full of ups and downs and, and roller coasters in life, and um, that three years is is something I'll always remember. But it just makes me thankful every day now to be able to to do the job I do and um, enjoy playing football every day, which is to me the most important thing and, and something that I never take for granted ever again. Yeah, I didn't realise you're still doing the kit man job. So you're still shoving stuff in the washer, then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I uh, I'll pick the lads' kit up after the games and uh, I'll put the kit out for the lads. I'll make sure all the balls are pumped up for training and, and get everything ready for training. So I've got a dual role. It's, it's something obviously it's very different in football, but um, the club have been brilliant to me in terms of when I first when I first got injured, they got me back involved and asked me to do the kit. And um, obviously, when I got back playing, it was a case of they'd have to find someone else. But I don't mind giving them a bit of extra time up during the week to to help the club out more than anything and, and do the kit. So they hadn't hadn't had to find anyone else but it's, it's a little bit different but it's, it's something that I enjoy and um, the lads are brilliant with me obviously being a player is my main priority but um, doing the kit is something that I enjoy and, and helping the lads out to, to give them the best preparation as possible is, is what I try and do. Yeah the club's had a it's a really bit an up and down period that you've been there I think your first season you were one game away from getting into the football league then last year of course you didn't know if you even had a football club it's been it's been a really roller coaster time at Gateshead hasn't it yeah it's, it's, it's been football you know I've, I've learned over the years that you, you face a lot more lows in football than highs and um, it's, it's, a, it's a sport and an industry that's um, that's tough sometimes you know like we mentioned there with the injury that was that was a tough period but from a footballing point of view for the club it was it was one game from the football league when I the year I first joined obviously um, I joined there in January 2014 and um, we got to the playoff final that year at Wembley where we we lost out to Cambridge United and, and was 90 minutes away from the Football League. So, And then you advanced a few years, I had my injury, etc. I got back playing, I, I lost a bit of form. I, I was having other niggly little injuries. And, and then, like you say, last year, the, the club almost went out of existence. So you face a lot. You face a lot in football, like I say, a lot of highs, a lot of lows. And um, it's a club now that means a lot to me. Um, it's, I'm a supporter as much as anything now. And Last year, when the club was nearly going out of business, it, it hurt a lot because um, I know what people put in to, to support their local football club as they do at all levels of football, and um, they live for a Saturday. You know, a lot of people go to work all week to to go and support their local side on a Saturday, and um, that's no different for Gateshead. And, and there was people in the in the club running it and the hierarchy that were that were trying to ruin and end the football club. It's as simple as that. So. Um, it's sad, but it's the way football is, and um, thankfully now we've got a, a, a supporter-led consortium that that puts its money in and puts its effort and time in, and, and thankfully the club now is in a better place, and and hopefully it can continue to strive. What I was going to say, what's that like as a player? Um, we don't really hear from the players when it's you know it's going through stuff like that. I mean, what's that like? You're not be sure what's going to basically happen, is it? No, it was tough. Um, it was it was a surreal re- uh, season, to be honest. And um, it's something that, if if looking back, I could have held a body camera on me the whole time and recorded some of the things I'd seen and some of the day to day stuff that went on at, at a thing like that. It was it was absolutely surreal. You know, you, 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 we weren't sure if you were getting paid on time. You'd have to go up and, and ask about getting paid and when we were going to get paid, etc. And it was one of them things where you had you had someone in charge of the club who. He wasn't allowed in football, but somehow he was running our football club. And um, officially he wasn't, but the, the owners 
were in a foreign country um, and this person who was running the day-to-day of the football club wasn't wasn't allowed in football so it was a strange thing and obviously being one of the more senior lads there and, and being someone who's been there for a few years I was trying to support the lads as best I can and be the forefront of um, trying to basically trying to get these people out of the club you know like I said a minute ago I'm, I'm a supporter now of the club as much as anything and, and to see what the club was going through and and you get people who support that club for 30, 40, 50 years and to see owners come in and try and ruin their football club, you know, it's the football club players play for a football club, owners come and put their hard-earned money into a football club, but the lifelong the lifelong people of football clubs are supporters and they'll be there long before we were there and they'll be there long after we've gone and to see a person and, and people trying to ruin a football club that many people have supported many years was, was something that personally hit me. Um, I was trying to fight every day to to find out what we could do to get these people out. And I was attending supporters meetings to, to see what the plan was to try and get them out there. The protests were, were one thing. Um, we got kicked out of our stadium. We couldn't use the facilities because the, the so-called owners wouldn't pay the bills. And even from my aspect of doing the kit, I had a, a van to drive around in and um, the club, the, the owner, if you can call him that, sold the van and I didn't even know. Um, so I went in one day and I got told my van was sold. Um, I was driving around for three weeks with no insurance because he, he took the insurance off the van. He didn't want to pay that. Um, and it, it's just a whirlwind of emotion and a, a roller coaster of a year. And you look back on times like that and you'll never realise how tough football is until you, you come under under circumstances like that and, and see what people and football clubs in the wrong hands can be like. And for a year and one season, the, the football club was in hands of, of people who didn't care, who just wanted to, to ruin football club and and basically ruin people's lives and they've done their very best to do that but it's a, it's a strong football community up in the northeast and um, the people stuck together and worked really hard to get them out and eventually we did so it was a whirlwind of emotion the day that the club got sold and I'm extremely thankful to the people and the and supporters and the consortium that come together and, and save this football club. I'm guessing now you look you see Wigan and it's just like you, you just look and think yeah we've been there it's exactly the same kind of thing almost now. Yeah, massively. Um, like you say, you look at Wigan, you look at Berry last season and it shows, you know, like I said, it's it's the supporters I feel sorry for, you know, it's the people in the local community that, that lose their local football club are the ones I feel for, you know. It, they've been there, it's, it's generations sometimes, football clubs. It's it's a case of the granddad's been, his son's been, the grandson's been and the, the grandson's children will one day follow that football club and it's a generation, people live and die for their football club, you know, it's a passion, it's a hobby. It's a family, you know, you turn up every Saturday, you might go to the pub before the game with the same people, you might sit in the same seat next to the same person for 20, 30 years and um, when you see owners come in who've got no affiliation to the football club and, and want to try and um, try and find holes in the football club that they can exploit financially, then it's so sad, you know, like you say, we're going to experience it now and very last season, Cholton are the same and clubs some survive and, and unfortunately for Berry some don't and it, it's so sad because um, people live for their football club and these people I think the FA can do more I think leagues can do more I think they can um, look at it in case of can they be more stringent in the um, in the, the test that these people have to take to own a football club because at the end of the day they're coming into a football club and like you say, you do get good owners don't get me wrong um, you get people who do care and, and want to progress the football club etc but I think the FA need to, to be more stringent and trying out these people who are, are coming in to ruin football clubs. Now, moving forward to the present day, um, you've had a quite a consistent season at Gator, but you're one of the beneficiaries of, of PPG in the end and ended up in the playoffs. And 
you're going down now to Brackley, you've got um, a tremendous home record and it's going to be a tough game, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. We don't underestimate how tough it's going to be, but as a group of players in the football club, we believe that we're the best and um, we believe that we can go and win. We don't fear anybody in the playoffs, we really don't. We know it's going to be possibly three away games for us, but um, we're a group that's got great belief and, and great plans to, to hopefully... Personally, for me, it's all about rectifying the wrongs of what happened with the ownership and the relegation that we faced and um, right the wrongs of why we're in the National League North and hopefully as a club we can get back to the National League and, and fight there again. But we're not under any illusions how tough it's going to be. Um, it's three games under strange circumstances and, and strange preparation. But like I said, we, we believe as a group of players in a football club that we can win and we can, we can beat any side in the playoffs. We don't fear anybody. And um, we're going to go there with a preparation and a game plan to, to try and cause Brackley's uh, terrific home record a problem and, and hopefully get through to the next round. How, how has it been then in terms of, you know, what you've had to go through, the protocols, the training and, and what you're going to do preparing going forward? Just, just tell us the, the build-up with everything that's going on in terms of quarantining and things like that. Yeah, it's been strange. Um, like I said, it's all very different in terms of your pre-season would be now. Um, we've had three or four months off where some of the lads have probably done nothing and, and you get told that the season's finished then you get told that the playoffs might be going ahead so it's all very new for everyone you know there's no excuses for it everybody's in the same boat and it's not a case that we're going to have less preparation than other teams it's, it's the same for everyone but yeah we've been training a few about three weeks now and, and we're back into it um, it's obviously getting tested um, every week for the coronavirus and, and having that test so um, we're doing the protocols as best we can you know from from my point of view it's different in terms of doing the kit and having to clean everything after training and and wipe things down and, and being stringent in terms of the health and safety of it but it's, it's the same for everyone you know we're like I said we're under no illusions that we're going to go to to Brackley and they're in the same boat as us everyone's in the same boat for these playoffs and it's going to be a, a straight shoot out of of uh, six teams trying to get promotion and we strongly believe that we can be one of the teams that will get promoted and, and hopefully hopefully get the club back in the National League. Have you ever played a game behind closed doors before? And I'm not talking, obviously reserve games, you kind of get that a little bit, but it's going to be weird because there's so much at stake but then there's going to be no fans there. No, personally, no. I, I've never played it before. It was, it was really strange for the, for the first time on the Friday evening just gone. I, I went down to, to watch Luton v Huddersfield and done the commentary for that game and um, that was obviously behind closed doors. So that was my first experience of being in a football stadium where there's no supporters and um, it, there's there's a game going on. So that was my first experience. It's going to be a surreal experience. You know, a playoff game is a massive game and I was thankful to play in the, the um, playoffs the first year I joined Gateshead and the atmosphere when we had 8,000 at the Gateshead International Stadium drives you on. You can say it doesn't, but the noise and the the passion from people gives you that extra five ten percent. But as a group of players and a group of people, we've got to try and create that ourselves. You know, it's it's going to be strange coming out to no supporters. It's going to be strange when you're scoring. There's no one to run across to. But that's football, you know. And it's all about self motivation. And I think if you're you're in a playoff game and a playoff spot, then the motivation should be there. And for me personally, the motivation is like I said to to try and get this club back rightfully where it deserves to be. Because last year we were relegated through no fault of our own and. Um, hopefully we can we can right the wrongs of what happened under the old regime and, and get this club back where it needs to be. And that was JJ O'Donnell and Gates said we're another beneficiary, weren't they, of the PPG? They're outside of the playoffs when the season stopped, but with the PPG they were they were propelled 
into the playoffs. And they play Brackley side who are very good at home, but uh, have been the bridesmaids in the playoffs the last couple of years, haven't they? Yeah, they have. They've they've lost in the playoffs in the last two seasons. Last season um, in the semi-final stage to to Spennymoor on penalties after a goalless draw, and they lost the final to Harrogate three nil the previous season. Now we've spoke the team that they want to put uh, right or wrong. Then then Brackley have certainly got that um, aspect of their game. Um, the thing that um, you know you've not pushed me for for a prediction on this one, but Brackley. Um, I, I would favour for that one as much as Gateshead's form before the the, the hiatus was uh, was exceptionally good. Brackley have got a very very experienced core of players under Kevin Wilkin. They've been a long time, and I've also got this feeling as well that Brackley aren't that Brackley don't play in front of huge crowds, but Brackley went unbeaten for over a year in front of their own fans and there's just something there that says to me that that mentality that Brackley have got is that they've got a core of players who can switch on and get into that mindset without the need to have a big crowd behind them to g them up um you know and there aren't going to be any crowds at these games and I just feel that Brackley's experience and the fact that they do all know one another so well um and you know possibly the added motivation of what's happened to them in the last two seasons would would be what I'd see, um, you know, propelling them past Gateshead. No strong opinion, really, boys. I, I obviously been watching the um, the National League all season. I haven't really seen the sides this season. I did go to Brackley for their playoff uh, last season, and I was very impressed. Very very well organised unit, tough to beat. I, I think as they they're now at least, at least the third year running, isn't it, Dickie? They've been in the playoffs. Uh, I, th- I think I'd probably overall for the National League North playoffs, I'd I, I'd have to uh, I'd have to go with Brackley from 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 the knowledge I've picked up over the seasons. But in terms of the players and the squads and how they're performing, even before this break, I, I wouldn't have a strong opinion. So for the champions, four of us went for York and uh, Chris Pratt went for Chester. He picked York to win the playoffs. He also picked out that uh, Brackley would make them. Uh, um, Dickie. You said, I don't know why you mentioned this team, but uh, tell me. Yeah, heart, heart overhead there, absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, heart overhead. I think I'm going to unleash the old phrase, you've got to be in it to win it. Um, yeah, Altrincham, Brackley and Gateshead and Chester. Well done, Dickie. You know your division. You picked wow. four of the six teams that are in the playoffs. So that's brilliant. Luke, another Northerner, no pressure. Uh, Gateshead, Chester, Altrincham and Brackley. Well done. Four for you as well. Um, and uh, I, I got three, Brackley, Altrincham and Chester. Um, and Tom got uh, Brackley to win the playoffs. Sorry, I picked Brackley to win the playoffs, as did Tom. He also picked Chester and Altrincham. Interesting. So there you go, Bill. There's a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of knowledgeable so people. <laughs> a lot of knowledgeable people on this podcast, isn't there? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you talk about Harrogate, the Harrogate Barrow situation. Actually, that has been the other way round for York and Kings Lynn. Mm. I think York are feeling quite aggrieved about the fact that they've effectively been top of the table since the very beginning of the season. They came to the Jay Davidson on the first day of the season and beat us three-one, and have been top all the way through. A little bit of a, a slack in form has has denied them the points per game title. But uh, then again, Kings Lynn were in a dip, so if they'd have played a couple more games, that might have evened things out. York will be feeling the most hard done by, but you can react one or two ways to that, can't you? You can react and say, it's ours, 
people owe it to us and we're going to show them. Or you can go, the entire world's against us, something bad is going to happen. And it just depends on moral strength of character. And um, but we'll we'll have to see. Looking at the South, it was it's. Uh... We haven't heard from Tom yet in this podcast. He's not with us um, on as we record this, but he did pop up with me earlier in the week when we caught up with uh, Slowtown Scotty Davis and Dartford's Nick Arnold as they face off against each other. Uh, good mates as well. And, and me and Tom had a good chat with him. It's, uh, it's Slough versus Dartford next Sunday in the, in the playoffs. And uh, I feel a bit like Michael Buffer from the boxing because we've got a Slough player and a Dartford player um, with us now. So in the yellow corner, we have... Uh, I'm trying to think of a nickname for you. Scotty the Dasher Davis, maybe? <laughs> that, that'll do, mate. That'll do. And we've got, in the uh, white corner, we've got Nick... Um, oh, what can we call him? Um, Artistic Arnold. Nick Artistic Arnold. Oh, my God, I've had worse than that. I'll tell you that for free. So, yeah, <laughs> I'll take it. We'll have, uh, we'll have Tom refereeing, I think. He's with us as well. Hiya, Tom. You all right? How are you doing, everyone? Good. Um, so, I guess the first question is... Um, Who's going to let who know that they're there? <laughs> it's a 50-50. Who's, who's, uh, who's going in there? He bases his game around tackling, doesn't he? I last tackled, I think, in 2006. So, Nick can have that one. <laughs> uh, I'll be late normally, mate, so don't worry no. about it. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that one. I'll take that one. Um, I guess, um, you're looking forward to it because Slav, obviously, Scott, you've been quite consistent. You've been on Wheelstone Stones all, all season, but Wheelstone just a bit extra, haven't you? But you've kind of been second or third all season. Yeah, we've been in and around it, to be fair. I think um, punching well above our weight. So, um, beginning of the season, I think people would have well, hoped for the best and tried to get in the playoffs. But um, if we'd have dropped out at a late stage, it would probably been a bit unfair because um, we've been in, in and around it, like you say, uh, most of the year. But it's like you say, Wheelstone, um, they were having a bit of a blip, weren't they? So, I think obviously the season coming to an end, um, like abruptly as such, might have. I think clear in the end with the game in hand, um, and then it's obviously down to the other six teams now to try and find a result for the uh, for the second team that goes up. Yeah, Nick, you um, you were Dartford. It was a slow start, wasn't it? And then you've kind of made your way up into the playoffs since Steve King come in. Um, what I wanted to ask you really was, we had Steve King on a few weeks ago when we started like a lockdown podcast and he sort of said that he's, he's kind of, he thinks he's got a reputation from the outside that he's a bit of a ranter and raver, which, so he's not really got a bigger job. I mean, what's he like in that dressing room? Um, he, he can rant and rave. Don't let him kid you with that. Uh, that is for sure. He can rant and rave, but um, he's very calculated, Kingy. Um, he knows his players really, really well. He knows the opposition players really, really well. So he'll he'll match up that way. Um, the sort of coaching side he gets from his staff. Um, he's very much more sort of um, player dynamic. So he'll put whoever he thinks might be um, a stronger 1v1 or something out wide or in the middle of the park where he thinks he can get an advantage. That That's that's the way his, his management style is. Um, and he's had so much sort of success around this level by doing that, that um, it's definitely sort of working. Um one for each of you separately. Um, obviously, Slough, fantastic season last year. I don't think many people expected you to match that again this season, let alone kick on and achieve more. Whereas Dartford, Dartford probably one of the teams fancied to be at the top of the table. But then come October time, I think most people will probably have written you off for the season. Um, so you've got two teams who probably, you know, 
great to be in the playoffs, but there would have been points in the season where, where no one really would have expected you to be there. How much is it, you know, it's just great to be part of the end of season finale versus we want to be taking that step up. Uh, that's to each of you individually. You want me to go, Nick? <laughs> yeah, go on, pal. I think it's I think it's one of those where um, I think it'll be just over four months before um, we kick a ball again from the last game that we had. And a lot of players that I've spoken to were quite happy that the season's over. They wanted it sort of dead and buried. Um, they might have been like sort of lingering in mid-table and thought to themselves, do you know what, I can go and crack on with my summer now, enjoy myself, have a few weeks off. But I think we've had it um, instilled in us from the managers that there's always a possibility or a chance that it could, it could restart. So um, we've been on our toes as such. We've been doing uh, Zoom sessions a couple of times a week as a squad. And I think that I might be wrong, but for me, it's obviously um, a shootout in terms of the playoffs. And sort of the fittest side that comes back, the hungriest side, will probably be the most successful. Um, I think with four months off, um, the fitness over 90 minutes in one game, it probably won't be too much about the quality that's shown. Um, probably the team that makes the least mistakes and the, the team that's sort of winning more second balls, uh, doing the basics. And, and obviously lasting 90 minutes is so important. So, um, yeah, it, I might be wrong. It might be completely different. It might be quite a lethargic game. Um, but it's like you say, it's... It's a great opportunity for both sides. Um, I think that we would have taken it at the beginning of the season and then, like you say, October time, um, I remember seeing Dartford in and around the bottom thinking, what's going on here? Um, and then obviously Kingy's come in and worked his magic. So, um, yeah, credit to him and obviously the boys as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, sort of, um, similar with that, that sort of feeling, you know. Um, we were the sort of informed team coming into the, the, that end of sort of um, that, that end of lockdown. Um, well, just before it sort of went into lockdown, um, we were definitely sort of the informed team. We were the, we were the team going on the up. And um, I think Kingy's been one of the main sort of reasons why the playoffs are on, really. He's he's really fought for it for the club, um, along with the other managers in and around it. So um, we've always had that sort of similar idea that, it, that it's more than likely going to get played. Um, we've been... Not not necessarily having the Zoom calls, but sort of doing the Stravas and all the stuff that you can do on your on on your own. And um, Kingy's been keeping up to date with all of that stuff. And um, we've been back in for a little while now, and 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 everyone is looking super fit. So I think Scotty's on the on the right sort of tracks with the less mistakes. I think in in the game is going to probably be the key rather than the the informed play because obviously four months without kicking a ball in a in a competitive game is going to take its toll. Um, but it'll be the it'll be the team I think that has done the most over the off period um, who can come back and, and, and sort of click. Um, but but as sort of we've accomplished before that this this isn't the, I mean at, at where we finished in the table we've now got to go and win three games and and they're all going to be my 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 team Dartford they're all going to be away from home um, and we, and you've got to go and earn the right to get promoted and I think that's sort of the, the challenge there that if if we go and, and win the playoffs we've we've gone and earned it over them three games Yeah, absolutely and, and we saw that from Braintree um, last season, didn't we? That team who came in on form but had the hardest run away game, away game, away game to make it to the playoffs ended up winning um, Just on the subject of the form I think one of the really interesting aspects of this match is going to be um, obviously, Scotty, your your Slough team, absolutely solid. Um, I watched you at Hampton earlier in the season and just the way that your team works and controls the tempo of the game, shuts down opportunities is massive. Whereas, Nick, you guys have got 
probably the most informed striking partnership in the league in uh, Elliot Romain and Darren McQueen. Both of those things are so dependent on consistency and playing together regularly. Do you think, you know, is that going to be a key element of this match? And which do you think is more likely to be affected by the uh, drop-off in, or sorry, the, uh, like the break in games and, and impact on form? I think one of the things that we get said to us after every game by our managers is that the opposition manager have said, listen, you work harder than any other team that we play against. Um, and I think that bodes well for us. We've not got as many superstars, um, albeit the Conference South, there's some obviously great players in the league. We've not got as many superstars as maybe some of the other teams. Um, but what we have got is is, a, is obviously a core. Um, we know our jobs is quite um, like little cogs within a machine. Um, if you're not doing your job, then you'll soon get sort of found out by the rest of the lads. Um, and it's expected. Everyone knows what they've got to do. Um, but like you say, when you come up against quality, which obviously the Dartford front two have got, um, and they're quite aggressive as well. I know Elliot's obviously puts himself about and he's a handful. Um, and at times that does sort of ruffle our feathers a bit. Um, but it's like you say, we, we're one of those teams that probably give as good as we get. Um, we can play different ways, I suppose, especially at home. We like to try and play a bit more. Um, away from home, we're a little bit more direct. But it's like you say, Nick's obviously mentioned they've got to go to three, potentially three away games and win. But I think without the crowd and stuff there, um, it's almost like a neutral venue for, for most teams. So it's, um, yeah, it's a bit of a, a lottery, I suppose. Um, but I think both teams will, will give it all over the 90 minutes, knowing that they could go into the, the having game potentially, having played a game, uh, got a little bit more fitness and a little bit more understanding between the squad. Um, and I think the team that goes there will obviously have a, an advantage having had 90 minutes under their belt. Yeah, Nick, I mean, for you, obviously, we've, we've spoken to Rob a lot and he's he was saying about how he had you alongside him on commentary because you were out injured for such a long time at all the shot. And has it helped maybe dropping down a level and going part-time? You went to Wheelstone, now you're at Dartford. Do you think that's helped you kind of gain your fitness and your confidence back? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, out for just under two years with a knee injury after a few ops and stuff, it um, it took its toll going in every single day and you having to go in the gym and watching the boys go out. Um, I think dropping down a part-time, just having that sort of extra at least sort of day where, where you know you haven't got to do that drive or whatever it might be um, has definitely helped. Got quite a few games at Wilson at the start of the season and obviously um, I got a great message off, off the Gaffer Dean there um, when, they, when they got crowned the champions, which was really nice um, for him to do. Um, so and and then and then moved on to Dartford and, and obviously we've gone on a, on a on a good run since I've been there too. So um, I definitely have felt much better about myself um, since since being back. Um, I've only missed a couple of games through injury um, and and obviously being your first season coming back, you do expect them little niggles to to, to kick in. So. Um, yeah, it, it has felt amazing to be back on the pitch uh, after such a long period of time. All you want to do, uh, as I'm sure Scotty will tell you, no matter after whatever injury, however long it is, you just want to be back out on that pitch as soon as possible. So such a long one, you you do just want to get back out there and playing. And, and I'm glad I've got a good amount of games this season under my belt, yeah. I guess a lot of it, though, is, is, is every player says it's more the mental side rather than the physical. You just kind of go back into that rhythm, but it's that first tackle, isn't it? Or if you do feel a bit between, you're thinking, oh, no, not again, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. The first twinge is the interesting one because you instantly <laughs> instantly start going panic stations. Um, but you've you got to believe that what you've done and, you, and you've got to back yourself that your rehab was strong enough and that, and that you've done the right things and, and you've done enough. Um 
there's definitely at times you, you doubt yourself and it is it is a lot of it is in your head and, and the way you, you get over it. But um, the first 50-50 you go into, you, you've got to know that you're going to be ready for it. And um, definitely this season, as, as as it's gone on, I've definitely got sort of more confident with, with the knee itself. And um, and hopefully it, it's behind me now and I, and I can move on. Um, over to you, Scotty. Uh, it's, and, and Nick, if you've got anything on this as well, please chip in. Um, another factor about the break between play, uh, the, the regular season and the playoffs has mean that a lot of this has gone beyond the extension of players' contracts. Um, and we've seen the transfers kick in as well. Um, specifically, Alfie Rutherford has moved from Havant to Dorking. You know, the sort of player that he is, he can have a real impact on the playoffs. What's your view on that sort of thing? Do you think that actually the playoff squad should be restricted to the squad that's played this season? Yeah, most definitely. I think you can't argue with that. Um, you could get players from a higher league that are out of contract, sign them on a short-term contract to come and play in the playoffs, which for me is um, not right by the sort of laws of the game, um, etiquette, I suppose. Um, it doesn't seem right. I wouldn't be best pleased if we were to do it. Um, you've got a core of players there that have put their heart and soul, I suppose, into most matches, training, um for sort of 30 weeks um, for then someone else to come in and sort of grab the limelight. I don't think that's right. Um, even if it does turn out to be successful, um, I still think it would be a bit sour. Um, so for me, yeah, it's, it's, it's not great. Um, but like you say, it's, it's going to be a hell of a match, I think, for 90 minutes um, with the squads that, that are obviously involved. Um, I think there's plenty of quality on the, on the pitch on both sides uh, to make it a good game without having to sign other players, especially... I see Alfie Rutherford went to Dorking um, and I didn't realise he would be um, eligible to play. So mm. until you just sort of said it then, um, I didn't I didn't realise. So, yeah, it doesn't really sit that well with me, um, but rules are rules and if they've abided um, to the rules and then, then so be it. Yeah, I thought, Tom, that you had to be, it was up to a certain date, wasn't it, that you had to be registered? Is he, is is he it, allowed they to play? I, I don't know. I, I assume well, I, I, I didn't know why they would have made the transfer otherwise at this point, but... I spoke to a, um, a friend of mine who's a keeper and uh, he said to me that he's been approached by a club in the playoffs um, to potentially play and he was just checking out the paperwork to see. Um, it was in the same league um, that he was going to transfer from. So there obviously is a loophole in there somewhere, I'm guessing, that they've not covered um, because how can you sort of cover for a global pandemic where things have changed and the season's gone on. I don't know if they'd have rules and regulations around that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's obviously a controversial one, um, but it doesn't seem like we'll be, we'll be signing anyone before the, uh, the match next week, that's for sure. Place is safe then in midfield. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I, I was, Robert, um, Robert Shelters, if we didn't mention this, but obviously you played together at Aldershot. Um, just tell us about your memories of playing with each other, really. Reading it was. Yeah, yeah. We, we didn't play Oh, it was Reading, okay. Yeah, I'll yeah. let Nick go. <laughs> uh, Scott is a little bit older than me, to be brutally honest with you. Uh, I'm just going to drop that in. Um, to be fair, I don't think we played. We, we probably played in the reserves a bit, didn't we, and stuff like that at Reading. Um, we have obviously both played for all the shot just at different times. Um, but I remember Scotty uh, starting in the first team while I was, I think I was in the youth team at the time. Um, I mean, Brendan Rogers is for was it his first when it when is his first game? You went and started in centre midfield. Yeah, um, run the show. Absolutely, <laughs> mate. Um, no, look, Scotty was a Scotty was a, a and still is a fantastic technical player. Um, he's got attributes that that I would love to have. 
Um, I mean, he can score from his own half, however, whenever he wants, it, it seems to be at the moment. So um, just don't do it next weekend and we'll be all right, mate. Um, <laughs> but he, he's, he's a great player. I've got a lot of respect for him on and off the pitch. We always have a chat after games when, when we see each other and stuff, which is great. Um, and what he's doing outside of the game as well is incredible. Um, and, and, and I really hope that he's getting the recognition for that that, that he deserves. So um, I've known Scotty a long time and, and it's great to see him doing so well. Um, and, and in a good side as well at Slough now as well. That's going to be hard to beat that, isn't it? Christ, bring a tear to my neck. <laughs> no, I appreciate that, <laughs> mate. It's, it's one of those, like, um, I've always never sort of forgotten um, where I started and there could be someone that was, I don't know, seven or eight years below me that I might have coached when I was at Reading. Um, they might have been in the academy um, and I've given up my time in the evenings going coach and now um, I try and stay connected with everyone and I think that's the same with Nick. Um, every time we obviously see each other, we have a good chat and a good catch up. Um, obviously with the injuries and stuff that is, is held him back and it's, it's, it's hard to see because I'm not one of those people that um, doesn't like to see people do well. I think that everyone deserves a fair crack at the whip um, and obviously the ability that he's got flying down that right-hand side. It's just a nightmare at times for defenders, those overlapping runs and whatnot. But it's like you say, it's, it's part and parcel of the game, injuries. Um, but obviously great to see him back playing now. And I think regardless of the result next week, um, we'll have a handshake and a hug and whatnot. If we have to stay a metre apart, we'll do a high five or whatever it is. <laughs> so it's, um, no, I was going to say, I think that friendships in football um, and things like that, um, they they're obviously mean a lot to people. Um, so it, it'd be great uh, for us to be able to get the win. But if not, if they go and do the job on us, then I'd be back in Nick to get back into the league that he deserves to be playing in minimum. So, yeah, no, all well and good uh, from our side of things. It's an elbow, elbow, elbow bump, isn't it? They'll be doing. Yeah. <laughs> if, if Dartford were to win, I think that would put Nick and maybe Jack Jeb in the fairly unique position of playing for a championship winning team and a playoff winning team in the same season. Yeah, yeah, I've had a few text messages about that. To be fair, yeah, might get a little double promotion this year. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Is it, I don't know how many people have done that, but uh, yeah, it'll be a it'll be a nice little thing to have on the Mount of Peace, that's for sure. I think technically that means that you and Jack Jeb would just go straight to League Two. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, double I'll get. <laughs> I'll mention that to my agent, and we'll see how we get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good uh, good bargaining tool, isn't it? If you want a new contract. Uh, I wonder how that would go down with Steve King if you went, oh, by the way, I've had a, a double promotion this year, Steve. <laughs> um, another one for you, Scott, if that's right. Just on, um, I know you had a little spell at Kingstonian earlier in the year. Um, over the last two seasons, we've seen um, Slough obviously do fantastically, having been promoted. Dorking, Semele, Weymouth finished third after a promotion season. How close do you see that gap between step two and step three now? It's a really tough one because I think the teams, when I joined Slough, um, I joined with sort of 13 league games to go. Um, I think we won 11, drew one, um, lost one, and then we won both the games in the playoffs. So we had a hell of a run. Um, but the teams that we faced in that league, the Kingsland, Weymouth, Kettering, um, there was one other as well. I can't think of the other one was. Um, but they all seem to be a lot better than the rest um, for me personally. Um, the Ryman Prem when I went and played in it was quite a way, a way apart to be brutally honest um, I thought to myself do you know what there is a noticeable gap um, whether it's within players consistencies uh, whether it's within the grounds that you play at um, the attendances everything just seemed to be um, a real level down and I, I found it really really difficult to be brutally honest um, sort of getting myself motivated 
Um, in the games itself, I'd done okay. Um, I'd like to think I came away doing all right. And the manager actually said to me at half-time, I'm sorry that I brought you into this mess. So that, that obviously shows the, the, the sort of club that I joined at the time. Um, I thought I could sort of drop a league down to sort of go back um, a league up again, but it didn't happen. But yeah, I think the Conference South is where you want to be. Um, if, you're a, if you're a part-time player, I think it's a great league. It's only getting stronger. Um, obviously, the crowds, the, some of the uh, grounds you go to now, uh, the players you play with and against, because I actually enjoy the challenge of playing against good players still. Um, I think sometimes when you're playing against sort of young lads um, or players that aren't so technical um, and just want to hurt you, kick you about, it's, it's not that enjoyable. It doesn't feel like a game of football. And I'm sure Nick would agree that he obviously wants to get the ball down and play and do things the right way. So I think the conference south for that um, has a really good standard of, of technical players, as well as the ones that can obviously put their foot in and break up the play. Basically, what Scott is saying is he scored from the halfway line every week and it was too easy. To be fair, as well, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> probably not for the podcast, but uh, I think most of us could have told you that King's in was uh, King Stadium was going to be a bit of a basket case. Oh, mate, I didn't know what I'd walked into, to be honest. Um, there was probably eight or nine players there that were on good money in their comfort zone. Um, and I couldn't get uh, sort of any sort of motivation out of them. Um, I tried my hardest, my damnedest, um, and it was just really difficult. And the manager said to me, we were, I think we were three or four nil down against Dorking at half time or something. And as we were walking off, he said, mate, I can only apologise for bringing you in. And I thought to myself, what have I done? And I think that's when I realised that um, like Slough is a really good club with good people. Um, I actually went to a funeral with Eamon Dolan um, about four years ago, who was mine and Nick's uh, youth team manager at Reading. And his brother spoke and something just resonated with me that day where he said, in football, just surround yourself with good people because um, it goes such a long way. Obviously, Nick's um, Steve King's uh, adopted son, so he, he goes everywhere with him. So he's surrounded with him all the time. So, but it's like you say, just just stick around people that you can trust. Um, that obviously that obviously um, you get on with well because it goes such a long way. And actually, Nick, that's a really good point to bring you in on around Steve King, and we talked about it a bit here. But he seems to have a few players that crop up with him time and time again. Um, Cardwell Marsh Brown's another one. I know he was with him down at um, Whitehawk as well. Is that is that him having favourites, or is that as Scott says, players trusting a manager and knowing actually I want to be around this guy? Um, it's definitely it's definitely him him having the trust and and you trusting him, knowing that he's going to get some of the best out of you. Because uh, when I went down to Whitehawk for that period of time and went and played under him, that was that was some of my best football that I've played. Um, we had such a good sort of team down there at, at this at, at this level, Conference South. Um, we should have done better than what we did in them couple of years. Um, and I like the way that he sort of brings himself around um, around the sort of training ground and, and during games and the way he sort of presents himself um, is something that I, I got on board with and and we we, we formed a, a connection that way and, and he trusts in me to, to do the job that he wants me to do as a fullback um, and I trust him that he's going to get the best out of me um, and that's that's what I want. And and he's a winner. He's he's done this level over and over, and he's a winner. And and I like that. Um, obviously, when you, as sort of Scotty was saying, dropping at one league below, he sort of saw a difference in in that sort of mentality. And this level, you want to win to keep going up. And he he gets the best out of his teams, and he he has it his own way. He doesn't do it the same way as everyone else. He does it his own way. And and I got on board with it as others have done. 
Um, and then he's shown faith in us um, at sort of different clubs and different stages of our careers as well. So um, it's, it's the way he finds the best out of players and, uh, and it seems to be working. And as he confessed to us, he loves clothes as well. <laughs> hey. He confessed to us that he loved clothes, like his tweed jackets and stuff like that. He was saying, yeah, oh, I just love it. I mean, I, 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 we're not getting into his clobber on here because we could be in here for a little while, but uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, leave that, we'll leave that to him because, um, yeah, some of the stuff he's walked in on, yeah, um, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be buying it, that is for sure. To be fair, that, um, that Whitehawk team he put together, I know why they went down because the start of the season was so dreadful, but that's got to be one of the best relegated squads that I've seen. I, I remember watching you against Western Supermare. I think you beat them 5-1. And it was one it's just fantastic football, especially on that pitch at the enclosed grounds. So we had to play that sort of football on that pitch. It's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, um, I think the season they went down, he, he left the year before. Um, he'd gone the year before, but a few of the boys did stay. And it, you're right, it probably was one of the better sides to, to probably have left this league. Um we we under under Kingy and then even when Pablo took over and finished that season off, um, yeah, we played some great football on that pitch. But that's the way Kingy wants to play. He doesn't want to get the ball down. He doesn't he doesn't like you just booming it. He wants you to make that first pass and, and try and build the play up. Um, and and no matter what pitch we're on, whether it's like a four G pitch, whether it's like an enclosed ground pitch, um, you've got to, you've got to be able to play that way and you've got to be able to back yourself on the ball and. Um, and can you trust you to do that? And, uh, and and you need to be able to. And and that's the way that um, at Dartford we're starting to play the, uh, a lot more that way, um, which is probably touching on how, how Els and, and Mac are doing up top. We, we're getting them the ball a lot more in positions where they may not have been getting it at playing in, in a different way. And that might be beneficial to how, how their scoring record's been this year. Tom, you did mention the uh, squad at Whitehawk, mate. They were paying, paying like a million pound a, a year on the wages. So, Kingy actually tried to sign me when he was down there and it would have changed my life. I didn't realise non-league football could do that, but Wildstone <laughs> wouldn't let me go. So, um, he offered me an unbelievable deal and I was like, Jesus Christ, I didn't realise what players were earning in this league. So, that's probably half the reason why I then <laughs> had an unbelievable squad. Well, I think they had, um, they had David Ijaha. I'm a Plymouth Argyle fan. And I've seen David Ajaha like doing a good job for Plymouth Argyle just a couple of seasons before in League One. I was like, this guy's an absolute tank at this level. But oh um, mate, they were like PSG of the Conference South. It was unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> failed to get up to us. <laughs> Professional footballer in the Conference South. That's what it was. <laughs> You've got to pay people a good wage though if you want them to play on a pitch, which is essentially just a field marked out on the South Downs. I was living two hours away and um, I basically said, I looked on the maps and it was 101 miles. I'll never forget it. And I just thought, I can't drive there three times a week. And he was like, no, we train in Crawley. I'm sure he said he trained in Crawley at the time. I'm not sure. There we go. Nick's nodding his head. And I was still thinking, that's still too far. But it's like you say, yeah, it's, he's, he does a great job of the teams that he's had. And there's no dispute in that. I've always gotten really well with him. Um, he's always been really uh, welcoming whenever I've spoken to him at, at clubs when I've seen him. So he's one of the, um, the better managers in the league that, that is approachable. And obviously Nick's, Nick's found that uh, to be the way as well. So, um, yeah, obviously um, next Sunday is, is, is the big one, really. The two of you will be uh, clashing. I won't. I won't get a prediction out of any of you. It's not fair, but I'll just say that may the best man and best team win. Rob, you know them both really well. They had a bit of a laugh, and 
do you think the 3G will play to Slough's advantage? It's going to be a, a tough one, isn't it? Steve King's got them really well organised and up the table, Dartford. Yeah, I mean, I I love both those chaps. I mean, Scotty is a legend at Aldershot Town and he's one of those real characters in the game. And it's just brilliant to see uh, where he's recovered from in his personal life to what he now does, uh, you know, talking about gambling addiction with with uh, every single... Uh, um, and uh, Nick, uh, unfortunately, very, very good player. But when he was at Aldershot for, the, for a big chunk of two seasons, he was out injured. So I think he and I have called the most Aldershot games together for BBC Surrey Sport. Um, in terms of the two teams themselves, again, don't know the meaning out, but I just got this thing about Steve King. He's a magician. He is absolutely brilliant at reaching the playoffs with just about every team that he's been with. And I think he'll, he'll, he'll plan the way. He'll find a way. Um, so I don't know about Slough's uh, 3G. Mm. I think... I think th- 3G pitches and advantages, it's more and more of a moot point now. There's several clubs around that have got them. Every team's used to playing on them at some stage of the season. They train on them uh, quite a bit as well. Um, so I'm going to go with Dartford to come out in, on top in that one. Yeah, and the other game in the South uh, was, or is, not going to say was, it is Bath City against Dorking. And I caught up with the Bath City manager earlier in the week, Jerry Gill. So the other semi-final in the National League South is between Bath City and Dorking. That is the playoff eliminator. And joining me to talk about that is Bath City manager Jerry Gill. Hiya, Jerry. Hiya, Luke. How you doing, mate? I'm really good. I mean, how, how are you doing? We were just chatting then, weren't we, before we came on air. You've had lots of press and stuff building up uh, to the next week. Now, you must be glad to be getting focused back on football now. Yeah, we are. Lots of things around it, obviously. Um, but you rightly say the, the main focus is now for, is for Dorking at July the 19th, um, coming up with our game plan, making sure the players are conditioned right, not to overcook them because we're coming back in. It's a bit of a strange one because you're coming back in in pre-season. Generally, you're coming back in even in the games, they can go at 60%, 70%. But you're coming back into a eliminator, one-off game, competitive. Um, so that's a, that's a fine line of balancing the fitness of the players. So that's what we've been closely working on. Um, we've had a friendly already. We may, we may have another one, um, but the, the sessions have been built around just building the boys up until that, that Sunday. I was going to say, because even the Premier League teams have struggled in the first two or three games back, haven't they? So you're going into a game and it's going to be full hell. You may only get one game as well. It's one of those. It's a strange one. It is, yeah. And ironically, if you do go through, I think you'll be at the benefit to playing. You know, if we go through, we play Weymouth because they won't have played a competitive game, albeit they probably would have got a friendly in somewhere. Um, but that's not easy because there isn't many teams back apart from us playoff teams. So um, picking and choosing, that's difficult. But yeah, it's um, who knows what it's going to look like, Luca, if we're being totally honest, we don't know. We, we've seen the, the German football. We've seen, we've seen the, the championship, the FL, watch a lot of them games. The playoff games have been good. because I think it's more relative to us, the league two playoff games. Um, and I've, I've taken bits from it. You know, there's all sorts of stuff around it. The balls have got to be put around the outside of the pitch. So there's going to be multi-ball. We don't generally use that. Um, drinks breaks are not drinks breaks anymore. They're tactical breaks because <laughs> it gives the coach an opportunity to talk to the players. Um, even though I think the long-range forecast is going to be hot again. Um, so it's going, to look, it's going to look a little bit different. Of course, we all know about the stadium, but we're doing everything we possibly can here to to try and make it look different to how it will tonight in training or any night we train here um, in this period. So, um, 
no, lots to look forward to. It's like Christmas Day every time the players come in. I've got to be honest, everyone's buzzing. Um, like you said from the outset, it's just good to have football back. Different though, isn't it? You, you mentioned about you've got the tests, haven't you, to do. I mean, how's that been? It's something to get used to and you don't look that pleasant either. <laughs> Mate, they've been horrendous. They're horrendous. I'm not going to sugarcoat them. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's, a, it's something in the back of your throat having to be tested and it's in there for a long time. It's not like it's quickly in and out. It gets wiped around the back of your throat to get a real good test and up, up both your nostrils. Um, I've got some funny pictures on my phone to use later date of Jim, my assistant, with his eyes streaming and his nose streaming. and Yeah, so so it is different, but it almost feels like the norm now, Luke, because we've, we've been tested twice. We get tested again tonight. We get temperature tested every time we come in. We have to wipe down equipment before and after sessions. Um, we have to wear masks until we get the session going. Drink bottles are not shared by anyone. So we've got, we've got a really good protocol, which is guidance off of the National League. Um, and... Um, we're all, gearing, we're all gearing up for it in the proper way, you know? Is that good in a way? Because you've got to adapt the training session, so it's something different for the players now. They might come in and think, oh, well, we've been doing this and this. But because they're split into little groups, could, could that work for an advantage in a way with the new sessions and things like that? Certainly from the outset when you're doing the phase one stuff because it's more specific. So, as you know, at non-league, and we're not a full-time club, we're not, we're not lucky enough to have the players in more than a Tuesday and Thursday night. My frustration is always as a coach is that we don't get enough time to do individual specific work with players or unit work. And that's what it's allowed us to do. So we've been able to focus in phase one on the more technical side of the game. Now building into contact, we've gone back to our possessions and obviously doing our phases of play. And like I said, we've had a friendly. So yeah, you're right. I've not really thought of that until you mentioned it. But in a, in a perverse way, I guess we've got some work into the boys they wouldn't normally have had. In terms of the, the actual season, then really consistent. You've always been around the playoff have a playoffs this season. So it's been, how's the season been for you uh, personally and, and for the team? How would you assess it? It's been hard work again. We, 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 we have to work hard in the loan market. We've got five players in at the moment on loan, just, to, just so it works for my budget. And um, I think the season as a whole, as you say, has been very consistent. We, we would have finished third or second. We were looking at that spot. Um, we didn't at the moment because we drew level with Weymouth. And if it weren't for that game against Wildstone, where we had a real bad day, we'd have probably finished third. But it is what it is. Um, our target always was to get second or third and finish better than last year, which was fifth. Um, we use the experience of playing against Wildstone here last year and the Eliminator where they were better than us on the night, but a lot of things went against us. So there's lots I'll learn from that and the players will. Um, and we're, we're really looking forward to it. I've got to say, Dorkin are a very good side, a lot of experience in their team. I respect Mark and his recruitment, what he's done there. Um, they have lots of rotation, middle of the pitch, um, play football the right way as well. So I think this side of the draw, Bath City, Dorking, Weymouth, is a, it's, a good footballing, it's a good footballing side of the draw. I've got to say that. Yeah, I mean, we were discussing with the other, about the other National League eliminator and saying about players being signed on and things like that. And um, by your understanding, the lone players who are registered before the uh, lockdown can play. Anyone signed after that can Mm. No, we got we got clearance on that. It was a that was a nervy moment for us because, as I said, we got five and they play. Um, well, they are they play an, an integral part in our starting eleven and in our squad. So, um, but because it wasn't just getting the clearance from the FA and the Nas- and from the National League, it, it's also coming from those parent clubs, Luke. You know, mm. so we got Cardiff City, Cheltenham, Exeter, Bristol City. Um, it, it's those clubs have got to be comf- comfortable with these boys coming in, so they have to see the protocol. Obviously, they got care and they have to they have to worry about their own players they're they're a parent club so 
and then the players have to want to come and play, you know. So um, yeah, with to a man and to a to a team, that shows a, bit, a lot of respect to Bath City. They all wanted to come and perform for us, um, and, tr- and hopefully try and finish the job as well. So we're delighted. We're, we're going to go into it with a full, fully fit squad at the moment. Touchwood, um, which is what we want, but we want that on July the nineteenth as well. And, and finally, it's exciting times at Bath City, isn't it? There's, there's um, the renovation proposal for the stadium and things like that, and you, you get good crowds anyway. There's, there's kind of it's almost like um, would you describe it as a sleeping giant almost the club? It's well, it's certainly one of the biggest non-league clubs in the West Country, Luke. You know, it's 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 a great place to work. I've got to say that I played here. I was lucky enough to play here. Um, we're averaging now 1,100 here at Twerton Park, which is a great crowd, um, and the football's been good. They've enjoyed it. A um, lot of hard work off the pitch as well, not just me, a lot of work going on off the pitch, as you say. The planning application will be going back in again in some way and form. We were really disappointed that got turned down. But I think, I think again, in a, in a funny sort of way, because of the current climate, I think communities are going to need something like this. They're going to need a hub. They're going to need a place to come and feel good about themselves again. Um, so hopefully that will have an effect on whether we get it passed through this time. But yes, you're right. It's a good place to be. Um, and we're trying to bring success on, on and off the pitch if we can. We'll be prepared. No, no one's got a given right to, to, to win or to go up, but we'll give ourselves the best shot, that's for sure. Brilliant, Jerry. Well, uh, best of luck against Darkin, and um, we, may, we may be touching with you uh, if you get to the final or semi-finals. Yeah, fingers crossed, Luke. Yeah. And that was Jerry Gill. And he was saying, obviously, they've arranged a couple of friendlies. He kind of kept his cards close to his chest about who it was they were playing. But Darkin, as you mentioned earlier, Rob, they played Notts County. Man, I don't think that'll have much sort of bearing, do you think, on this game? Well, it will have definitely given their players a, a little fillip, a little boost to go to uh, Meadow Lane and, and win 3-1 against the Notts County side, who we've all given the plaudits to. Um, it won't stand for too much, but it'll give them a little bit of confidence, of course, going into uh, that game next week. Probably the biggest significance of that is that when the league stopped, Dawkins were in absolutely awful form. They were dropping like a stone, weren't they? Um, they were completely out of form. So what they have done, they've taken, that out of the equation now because they've they've gone as uh, you know one three one against Notts County. Um, I'm going to go with the visitors to win that one as well. Um, I think that Dorkin might just pull that one off. Okay, let's have another laugh then. Playoff uh, winners, sorry, pl- uh, playoff predictions for Chris Pratt, based up in the north. Um, He's got Maidstone to win the playoffs. They can't do that because they're not in it. Uh, but he did pick Haven't and Waterlooville, Bath City and Dartford to make the uh, playoffs. Uh, Dickie, you picked Bath to win the playoffs. So get your money and, 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 and everything on them. Uh, apart from that, the only other team you predicted who've made the playoffs are Dartford. Uh, Luke, our host, you picked Haven't and Waterlooville to win the playoffs. So you're still in with a shout. You also picked Bath City and Dorkin. Well done for picking them. That was uh, you, the only side to uh, the only the only pundit to predict them. Uh, my good self, um, I think I had a bit of a stinker. No, not too bad. But Bath and Slough, I picked. I was the only one that thought Slough would get there. Um, and finally, Tom Lang. He's gone for Bath to win the playoffs. So three of you are in with a shout. Um, other than that, uh, he didn't get any other teams. At least he's now mm. the. Uh, he has a great chance with uh, with Bath. Jerry Gill will be listening, so he'll be uh, he'll be happy with that. There's some impressive stories, isn't there, with some of those clubs really progressing through the leagues? Yeah, and 
Absolutely, in terms of Harrogate, I mean, I've got so much admiration for, for what they've done there. Um, they've obviously got that father and son partnership, which is such a rarity. I don't think I've ever come across that. Mm. But it, it really seems to work, doesn't it, with Simon and, and Irving? And obviously a lot of money has been put in there as, as well. And, and I think that they've just got that balance right between you know a club that's ambitious and there's the, there is obviously there is money that has gone into it. But I don't think that they... They don't go stupid with it. And you'd expect that from true Yorkshiremen, wouldn't you? <laughs> As they are there. Uh, and I always enjoy trips to there. I always enjoy talking to Simon Weaver. I find him a really interesting guy to speak to. I thought he was excellent on I don't know if you saw the manager's documentary that we had on BT the Sport. Gaffer. Which for, yeah. The gaffer, yeah. I, I thought he came across really well on that. In fact, I thought they all did. I texted a few of them afterwards and said... Uh, how well I thought they'd all come across. I thought it was a really good insight into the, you know, that world, that level of football and the challenges that there are for these clubs. And for clubs that come from the sixth tier up into the, the fifth tier, there are great challenges. I mean, you know, we saw how well Ebbsfleet, for example, did when they first, you know, came into that level with Daryl McMahon. And then we saw the effects that, you know, ownership issues and, and, and obviously a, a reduction in funds can make. The money has to be there. I think that's a really important thing. It's going to be whatever organization you've got, whatever desire you have to progress, you have that finance there as well. So that is a big part of it. And that's maybe an aspect where Harrogate have got, the, have got all the tools, haven't they? Because they've got reliable, stable ownership in terms of um, Irving Weaver uh, and how he wants to move the club forwards. And yet they've also got so many things right in terms um, the club and the mentality uh, and their development and, and the playing staff and the relationship between the manager and Rocky, which you expect to be good if it's father and son. But I think they're a great example, Harrogate. And, and I think there's a lot of people would be pleased for them if, if they were. You could find a reason to be pleased for all the teams. But I think Harrogate are particularly well run, aren't they? And a little exclusive for our, our listeners. I, again, I, I think it's not too much of a secret, but... Uh, I think BT Sport were impressed with Simon Weaver as well because I know they have been following following him around again. I think another documentary is being made, and what a Philip it would be for BT Sport and for that documentary of Harrogate were to go on and uh, and do the playoffs. And guess who might be on it, Rob? Well, I didn't <laughs> want to mention that, but uh, yeah, Simon did. Simon was on as our guest a month or so ago, and. Uh, he did ask us for uh, a, a clip of it that might that might or might not make the uh, the final uh, the final take in uh, in the documentary. After we see- put, a word, put a word in for us, Adam. Yeah. After, see- <laughs> after they've seen us four, it'll, it'll be on the cutting room floor pretty quick, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> also, before we go, I think all the games are being shown in conjunction with BT. Well, we are we are waiting confirmation from the league on what they're doing in negotiating with uh, BT Sport and potentially another provider for three or four weeks now. Um, the intention is that it will be, all the games will be live streamed and, and you can buy, um, you can buy effectively buy tickets for it. The last conversation I had with the National League, they were talking about effectively that replacing gate receipts and therefore the money for streaming would only be the pay-per-view revenue and that uh, that money would then be split between the two clubs once the costs of any game have been taken into account. We still haven't heard for sure. We're hoping to hear tomorrow. Excellent. Well, that is it. We're going to try and get to some of the games if we can do and we'll maybe have a, we'll hopefully have a roundup next week of what happened in the Eliminators and look forward to the playoff semi-finals. But Adam and Bill, thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure. Enjoyed it.
And uh, Dickie, Rob, thank you as well. Yeah, really looking forward to it after the long break. Brill. Well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, well done for staying with us on this bumper podcast, and we'll see you all <laughs> very soon.